are so blessed, and more than what you see with your natural eye is all the people we've seen saved and baptized in the last two years. I think it's over 100, and we've got about seven or ten more to baptize as soon as we get that going here this week. So we're just thankful for all that God's done and all he's done, and we've got some wonderful testimonies. Some of you heard Sister Sandra's testimony Wednesday night, which was really powerful. Amen, you guys. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to read to you a powerful psalm. We want to welcome all of those of you that have joined us around the globe, those who are watching us. We, we know that we're in 50 countries. We just picked up Cambodia, Russia, and Togo, wherever Togo's at. Uh, we welcome you and, uh, and, and those that we don't know about. So those of you that are watching us live or get our YouTube channel or get our podcast this week, we welcome you with us and we challenge you this morning to give Jesus your best. Amen. Here's what the psalmist said. He said, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Amen. Now listen to what he says to us. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sit on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever. Amen. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. Amen. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of troubles. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What a good word to all of us. If we seek the Lord, he's on our side. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Come on, let's, we can give him more praise than that, Lord. We praise you. You are worthy. You are worthy of our praise in this house. We sanctify you, Lord. You're holy and pure and righteous. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise one more time. Turn around, shake somebody's hand, and welcome them to church. <laughs> Children's church is dismissed across to the other building. The nursery's open over on the, both nurseries, actually. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Matthew Robbins, coal miner turned preacher and a word nerd and a Joe Cool fan. I love Snoopy. I like the original Snoop Dogg, not the one that's out there now, but Snoopy, I'm a Snoopy fan. We welcome you this morning. We're going to get in the Word and see what Jesus has for us today. We're still finishing this. We've got a work in progress. We've got a few more things to do, but we should be wrapping all that up this week. So we thank all of you for being with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians once you go to chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
want to pick up with just a couple of verses here, and then we'll go to our main text here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. And uh, uh, this is the Apostle Paul being used by the Holy Spirit to pin this down here. These are the words of God to us. He says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men most pitiable. Pitiable. Or miserable, I think one translation says. Think about that. If all you are living for is what you have in front of you, then the natural, it's a bad spot. There's going to be, there is already an eternity going on, and we're all going to step into that eternity either by way of death or by the rapture when the Lord comes back or at the end when those who do not side with Christ will be given their final sentence. So we are people of faith. We are people of, the Bible says, people of the way. Christ is our hope. He's our Lord, our Savior, our Deliverer. And because of that, we don't only have hope in this life. But for those who don't, those who are only looking for things to get better here for them, you're missing the big picture. In the next verse, he says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's why we have hope beyond this life, because Jesus Christ is risen. So I want you to focus on that just for a moment, that if you're always bogged down by wanting life to change and be better here and now, those things happen according to God's plan, but that's not really where it's at. Where it's at is the next life, us going, transferring from this life to the next life. Let's go to Hebrews 11, and we're going to see how people understood that before even we had the New Testament dispensation and the gift of the Holy Spirit in the measure we've been given in the New Testament. When Jesus told Martha, he said, or Mary, or both, he said, uh, they said, he said, Lazarus will rise again. And they said, oh, we know, we know because we know about the last day. So this, he was talking to them before any of the New Testament was written. So for us to look back at people in the Old Testament and think they didn't have good theology is wrong. They understood, as I've told you many times lately, as we study the book of Revelation on Wednesday, that the, the tr an Orthodox Jew who studies the Torah and the Scripture, the Old Testament, they understand that Egypt was a type or a picture of the end of time. They know that. So these people weren't dummies in the Old Testament. They had revelation. They understood things. And so her response to Jesus said, We know he'll rise again in the last resurrection. And, of course, he, he says, hey, I'm the resurrection. So the resurrection is more than a concept or a religious concept. It's a person. But because of that, I want you to leave, uh, go into this passage with that understanding that those people knew that there was going to be a resurrection. They knew about the end of time. So let's look at uh, chapter 11. Let's look at verse 13 here in Hebrews. He says, and I, a lot of people he's already mentioned, he's going to mention some more, people who died in faith. He said, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They were assured of them. And the, to be assured of them means they were won over, they were brought about a change of mind because they took God at His word. And the final meaning of that word in the Greek means to be convinced. They were convinced, right? 
I gave this story, uh, some of the, one of the pastoral circle, circles that I'm in that's all over the United States, one of those guys uh, worked in Mexico. And when they had an earthquake several years ago in Mexico, it collapsed a primary school. And a lot of the children were trapped in those classrooms. It's a true story. And this particular guy who pastored in Mexico, who was a friend of the guy in our circle, said he went looking for his son. The people were digging through the rubble, trying to find their children, trying to get to them before it was too late. And so they were working hours, and it wound up taking days. But he finally found the classroom that his son was in, this particular guy who was a pastor in Mexico. And when he found his son, he called his son, and his son called back to him. And he, and he said to his son, he said, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And his son, this was his son who was, I think, in the fifth grade. This was his son's response to him. This father had done a great job of training his child in the things that are important. His son said, Dad, get these other children first because a lot of them were afraid. And he said, because I know you won't leave me here. So his son trusted his father so much, plus he had been trained spiritually, obviously. And he told his father, he said, you go get the rest of the students first because I know you won't. That's being convinced, isn't it? That's being assured of something, that you know that your father's not going to leave. That's how these people were. That's the meaning of this word. In the, he, in the Greek, it means somebody who's convinced of what they've seen, all right? That's who these people are. He says, they've, having seen afar off, were assured of them, were convinced. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I think the modern church struggles with that. We're more worried about our 401Ks. Come on now. I got one over here. One amen. We're more worried about whether our children's going to be the next president or the next NFL athlete. I got three amens on that one. We're more worried about all this stuff, and we're not supposed to worry about anything. The Bible says fretting or worrying only causes harm. It don't do any good. And so these people were confessed. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. They were people who trusted in God. He said, don't store for tomorrow, but joyfully fill yourself today. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures down here on earth, but lay them up on the other side. And that's got to be our posture here as we live in this life, else we'll get called up in the things that Jesus warned us about. In Luke 21, Jesus told us about the end of time, and he said, don't get caught up in the cares of life that that day catch you off guard. When he was talking about the end of time, he said, do not get caught up. And that's the thing that will bog church people down, right, more than anything. We're not maybe chasing after the addictions of the world and all the things of the world, but the thing that will bog us down is some things will become too important to us in this life. We won't keep in mind and keep the posture that we're strangers and pilgrims just passing through. Can you say amen? These people understood that. And some of these people were immensely blessed. Some of them barely got by by the world standards, but they all confessed the same thing. They believed in heaven, they believed in what they were looking toward, and they believed they were strangers and pilgrims here. And he says, they declare plainly they seek a homeland, those that are, that are saying they're strange. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, and that's why I read to you Corinthians, right? This is cannot be, your life cannot be wrapped up 
and this life only. This cannot be the thing that you get the most joy and contentment out of. It's got to be something beyond that. He said, but they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God, I love this line, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, part of our journey is looking forward to what's coming. Now, I enjoy life most of the time, right? And, and I, I, I do. I enjoy my family. I enjoy you all. I enjoy the journey. I love to watch people come to Christ. I love to be a, uh, interact and watch them grow, overcome. All those kind of things are important, and I get joy out of those. Except that. I don't get joy out of that. <laughs> but... There are, there, we all have hard times. Most of you know I had a hard time about 18 weeks ago. But God, the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall what? Deliver him out of most of them. Out of all of them. So we've got that promise and that confidence. But if you think about life, I like a good, I like a good dinner. I like a good piece of fish. Before 18 weeks, I would have said a good steak. Now I like a good piece of fish. But I'm saying to you, life down here can be really good at times, right? Well, think about that. The next life, this life can't even compare. And I know we don't have it all figured out. The Bible says, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the heart of man. Things that God has in store for those who love him, but he's revealing them to us by his spirit. So there's some things, this next life is going to be way better than the life we have now. Think of the greatest moments that you have in this life, and I'm going to tell you what's waiting on you and I in the next life is better than that. We should give God praise for that. Amen. So he's not ashamed to call us his children if we live like this, if we confess we're strange or we're just passing through. Watchman Nee said, whatever you have, hold on to it loosely. God may ask it of you. He may ask you to give your 401k away. What? I didn't get any amens that time. Wow. Whatever he asks can't be too much, right? God, you and I cannot have anything in our lives. That includes money, possessions, and even with Abraham, it included his son. We cannot have anything in our lives that God cannot touch. You're not allowed to have anything that he's first in our lives, right? He may not require everything of us, but we need to live a life that says, God, you have free access to us. You are first in our lives. Whatever you ask of us, that we will do. Then he says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, when Abraham, now when Abraham was called of God to sacrifice his son, he didn't put it off for two weeks. He didn't say, listen, God, let me take a cruise, me and Sarah, uh, me and, Sarah and, and Isaac, let us have a couple of weeks with him before after. He did it the next day. He took off the next day. He started up the, so he had a three-day journey. So basically, because Abraham was committed to obeying God, he had a three-day journey, and he basically, Isaac was dead for three days because Abraham was going to do what God asked him to do. But Abraham was also a man of faith, and we read about that here. 
that when he got to the foot of the mountain with Isaac, and most theologians believe Isaac was older at that time, maybe around 30s, in his early 30s. However old he was, most theologians, because Abraham was old dude at this time, that they believe Isaac could have overpowered his father, but he was willfully going along with this as a willful servant, just like he's a type of Christ, right? So Isaac is the son. He's going up. They lay the wood on his shoulders just like they laid the wood on Jesus' cross, the cross on Jesus. He willfully submitted to his father. They're on a journey for three days. But at the foot of the mountain, he leaves everybody else there. He leaves his servants and the people who work for him. And he says, now listen what Abraham says about this. Worthship, right? We get the word, let me write this up here. We get the word worship in English from the contraction of worth and ship. So we ship God worth when we worship Him. If we sing, if we give a tithe or an offering, if we kneel, if we bow, we're, we're shipping God worth. We worship Him. We ship Him worth. Why? Why do we ship Him worth? Because we place value on Him, right? You're here this morning because you place value on God. You could have slept in. You could have stayed home and got ready for the Super Bowl. Got them chicken wings all cut up. I need a piece of grilled fish, though. And you can, we worship comes from the contraction of worship. We ship God worth. Why do we ship Him worth? Because we place value on Abraham and Isaac. Abraham placed the highest value on God because he was taking his only son up there. If you can have one of my children as a sacrifice, you can have anything I've got. If I'll go that far, you can have anything i got. You can touch anything in my life. And that's basically what Abraham was saying. But as he gets to the bottom of the mountain, he says to his people that are with him, he said, you guys stay here. Now, listen to what he said. He said, me and the boy are going to go yonder. He's a country boy like us. He said, we're going to go up yonder. We're going to go yonder and worship. He called it worship because he understand worship. He understood it. And if you watch Abraham, every revelation that he got of God from Jehovah Jireh to whatever, the deeper his revelation, the deeper his worship could go. So you want to know why God let you and I go through some things? Just like he did me a few weeks ago? Because our worship goes deeper. The deeper revelation, the more facets we see of God, you haven't arrived. I don't care how smart you think you are. I haven't arrived either. I've learned so much in the last three months because my worship's going deeper, because my revelation of who He is, what He can do, and how He shows up, and how He's been around every corner before I ever get there, that makes me have confidence in God. That's what we're talking about in this passage is that these guys that are convinced about heaven, they're convinced about God, they're convinced about His character, they're convinced about His attributes, they're, that's why they say we're just passing through. We're strangers and people. We know there's a heaven. We know that Jesus died. We know that He rose again. And that's where we're going. And then he said, he said, me and the boy are going to go yonder and worship. And he said, plural, we shall return. Now, I don't know. I don't know. He probably didn't have it all figured out in his mind how this was going to work out. But he knew God had promised him his seed. And he knew God was going to raise him from the dead if he had to sacrifice him. That's faith right there. That's why these people didn't put any stock in this earth. And we read about Abraham. The Bible said he pitched his tent and built his altars, right? 
So that's an emphasis that our emphasis should be on our spiritual life and this earthly life should come in second, right? He pitched his tent, which represents our livelihood, our house, but he built his altars. The problem we struggle with in our culture is we want to build our tents, our little kingdoms here, and pitch our altars, just make time for God when we don't have anything else to do. Can I get one amen? That can't be how it is. Because here's the reality. None of us would have anything without God. Not one thing. Not a child, not resources, not even oxygen. We couldn't even breathe if it weren't for God. What if God decided to stop photosynthesis for about 15 minutes? Y'all didn't think I remembered that, did you? We all were taught about that, right? What if the oxygen was cut off for 15 minutes? I mean, we're, you know, now I got renewed to that just lately. You, I, I realize I'm not in control of anything. God is really in control of everything. And if we're on his side, we're in a good spot. Then it says, uh, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith uh, concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of his sons, Joseph, and worship. Leaning on the top of his staff, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. That's faith, right? That they were coming out and gave instruction concerning his bones. He was so convinced that God was going to show up in Egypt and take them out. He said, make sure you carry my bones out of here. Then he said, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. That's what my parents did with me because I was so pretty. <laughs> Just kidding. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen to this. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. I'm going to tell you right now, we're living in the last days. That's why this uh, hourglass up is to remind us we're in the end of time. We're, I believe we're that terminal generation. Uh, it's not going to be easy being a Christian. So if you're a sissy, you're at the wrong spot. It's going to get tougher. But you know what's going to happen? Our strength is going to outgrow the, what's going on out there because the Bible says greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Can you give him praise for that? Our strength, if you'll stay committed, if you'll put him first, if you'll do what, if you'll ship him worth, if you'll put him first in everything in your life, your strength's going to outgrow what the world. I know I say it's going to be easy. It's not easy. We're in a war. And we're in a war between good and evil. And we have to choose sides. And by not choosing a side, you have chosen a side. You're on Satan's side. But if you choose Christ, you're going to win. That's what these people were convinced of. He said uh, that he chose to suffer rather than enjoy the pleasure of passing pleasures of sin. That's what we do, right, when we commit to Christ. We choose to go with God's people and endure whatever things come against us rather than to live with the world. And he says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He's seeing something beyond this life. That's what I want you to get a hold of here. These people are seeing something beyond this life. And like I said earlier, there's some good things that go on in this life. I have some things that I enjoy a lot. But nothing we have down here compares to what's coming. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's how we live. We've got to be able to see that which is invisible. We do that by this, by getting in God's Word. That's how we can live like these people live, by understanding there is a heaven, there is a God, there is a Satan, there's a war going on. And the, the guy that's, uh, the company that come in here, who's a friend of mine that put all this equipment in, he said, 
He was in a revival one time, Brad Abraham. He was talking about what convinced him to get saved. And he said, because the preacher was saying that how many times has the devil tried to convince you that there's no Plato or no Einstein? He said, the devil don't ever do that. The devil tries to convince us there's no God, though, right? That's the only one he spends time. He's not going around saying there was no George Washington to us, right? He works all, he said, that's what convinced me because the devil works so hard to try and talk us out of believing in God. And that's why he did so much, tries to do so much damage to Genesis 1 through 11 because the foundation of everything we have in this world starts in Genesis 1 and 11. That's why I'm thankful for Ken Ham and what he's doing in this very state here that he's taking a stand against that, standing up, conferring, speak out. And that's what he's doing, something I preached on a couple of weeks ago out of Judges. That's what he's doing. We are, we are the people who are to be like Moses. We see that which is invisible. That's what causes us to live a life like these people live. By faith he, passed, uh, by faith, he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, uh, lest he was destroyed. The firstborn uh, should touch them. By faith he passed through the Red Sea as it was dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Right? By faith, now look at this. By faith, and this is a word uh, that we use in, uh, in the New Testament a lot, pisteo. That's the verb form of faith, all right? By faith, look what happens here. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled for seven days. That's pisteo in action. Pisteo is everything in the New Testament that undergirds faith and believing, all right? I'm trusting this is going on that board. I can't see it. This Greek word undergirds all New Testament believing and faith. It's a verb. Verbs have what? They have action. Did that go up there? Yeah, they have action. All right? We, we remember that from English. So true faith has action with it, right? True faith is just not some mental recognition, right? Or some thing I speak. Uh, my speech will be affected by pisteo, but I've got to walk it out, right? I've got to step into it. That's what's happening here, even in the Old Testament. The Hebrew words for that mean the same thing as pisteo in the Old Testament that are verbs are hasa and batak. It means to run to the shelter or to lean on the staff. They both have action. Those are the same words in the Old Testament that mean what pisteo means in the New Testament. So here, these people, what they do, God said, right, he gives a word. Now, in Isaiah, man, I, I want to preach all day, I think. In Isaiah, in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the sayer. God, God is the sayer, all right? God, God is the sayer, all right? And I say that when he says something, then we hear it and we, Isaiah gives us this idea, we move toward the sayer. When he speaks, we move toward him. That's what they did. He gave an instruction about Jericho. They did it, right? That's their action. Now, let's just put ourselves back in those days, right? It's kind of like what happened with Peter in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus come by and he'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. Those two situations are similar. Can you imagine being one of the children of Israel and they saying, walk around this thing for seven days? What's that going to do? It ain't going to do anything without it being God's word. See, that's, the Bible said he spoke the worlds into existence. His word does it. What causes 
His word to do it for me is when I step into it. You see that? His word does everything. How does that benefit me? When I am convinced, when I hang my body on it, when I step into it. So I, I guarantee somebody, I mean, they're, they're humans like, I guarantee somebody in Israel said, I'm not doing that, it's crazy. Be silent, not even talk. Just walk around. They're, and I can hear some of the skeptics saying, they're going to look over the walls and think we're a bunch of idiots. Does that sound human? Sounds human to me. Same thing with Peter. When Jesus shows up in Luke 5, Peter's been fishing all night. And let's remember, Peter's good at what he does. I mean, this is his livelihood. And Jesus uses his boat, all right? So Peter's willing to turn loose of the most precious thing he's got. That's how he fed his family. Let Jesus use the most precious thing he had outside of his family. He used it. Then he tells him to launch out in the deep for a great catch. And Peter starts to use his natural man for a minute, right? He says, hey, we've been out there all night. I ain't caught a thing, right? And then he, he catches himself or something kicks in on him. Then he says something that's very important. He says, nevertheless, at your word. I'm going to go out there on your word. I'm not going out there because there's nothing on the fish finder. We've been out there all night. We've been to all the sweet spots we have. Nothing. He said, so I'm going to take your word and go back and fish. That's what I need when I go fishing. Because I have a hard time catching them. I need a word from God. Go fish, Robbins. So he goes out, and you know the story. He catches so many fish that his boat starts to sink. You see what I'm trying to get across here? First thing needs to happen, we need to have a posture that we realize this world is second to what's coming. Second thing is, we need to be convinced of that, and when God's word comes into our purview, we latch hold of it. We step into it. We take hold of it. That's what, these, that's what makes these people different. That's what keeps them from having to live a life of fear and fretting because they know God's in control. And that's what's helped me grow just in the last three months because I've come to a greater realization of that. So it helps my worship go deep. So when God speaks, when He speaks, then we move toward the sayer. Stick man moves toward God, right? So let God speak. He starts right here. Don't, don't be waiting on great words from God if you ain't never going to get in His Word. Get in here and start, and then God will enhance how He speaks to you the more you learn of His Word. And then you'll also be able to tell when it's the devil talking and not God. Because God will never speak anything that's contrary to what's in this book. The Bible says the Spirit and the Word agree. Amen? So now the faith, but, but the, now look what happened collectively. These people joined in, right? They obeyed God. The ones that obeyed Him, then the walls fell, right? By faith, the walls fell down. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish in those, uh, with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. She was converted because she believed on the God of the Israelites. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David. And we'll come back to David in a minute. Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. You hear that word? You need to obtain some promises. You need to, obtain, you need to start believing and stepping into it and quit worrying and doubting. Stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, 
not accepting deliverance, what a word that is, that they might obtain a better resurrection. I read a story about church history and back when they were killing them in the arenas. And I read this story about, a, I think it was 80-some-year-old grandmother who had the, had the hand of a 16-year-old boy. And they were in the, the theater to be killed that day by the lions. And they gave them chances to recant. Same thing happens in Nigeria where Stephen's at. When they slaughtered those, when Boko Haram and Muslims came in and slaughtered those 400 Christians a few years ago that we have video of the mass grave they had to dig with a dozer, Stephen told me that they would come to those people and ask them to renounce Christ, and if they would renounce Christ, they wouldn't kill them. Think about living like that. And many of them, obviously, 400 and some of them didn't. And they killed them mostly with machetes. That's how, they, how most of them died that day in Nigeria. You think about people who refuse to die like these people, accepting, they accepted torture, not accepting deliverance because that they might obtain a better resurrection. Church history tells about the 16-year-old boy who's getting ready to recant. He's got the hold of an 80-year-old woman in the arena that day. And the story, she strengthens him and encourages him not to recant Christ. And he dies that day with her. Where else, what else in your life is worth dying for? She convinced him, and rightly so, that he'd be better off if he died that day in that arena than to miss heaven and go to hell. Look what happens here. It said they refused deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. I just learned something new here, I think. He says, still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, the chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute. Afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. What a line. Now, I'll ask you another question. This is a sobering question. If you lost whatever, you fill in the blank, would you walk away from God? What if you had to live like some of these people did? What if you had to live destitute, in sheepskins, afflicted, tormented, goatskins? These people were probably viewed as outcasts, but the, but the Lord says the world wasn't worthy of them. Why? Because they trusted Him fully. So much so that they wouldn't even deliver themselves from the torture. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And I told you we're going to get back to David in just a moment. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded, it's a word to all of us, these people we just read about, and they're all through the Bible, so you can read their individual stories all through the Bible. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race. The race. 
endurance. All right. Is who pomone. And it means to be faithful. It means to endure. It means to have patience. All of those will be translated in your New, in your New Testament for hupomene. But the true meaning or the biggest meaning is consistency. In other words, he's saying, let us run, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares, and let us run with consistency. Now I want to say a word to all of us before I talk about David, before I close. Nobody in this building can be perfect, starting right here with the guy behind this podium. But we can all be consistent. And that will pay dividends. When you go back and read a lot of the book of James, that's the primary word is hupomene. That's translated patience and faithful. You go back and read Jesus where he talks about endurance. That's hupomene. Nobody is disqualified unless you quit. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he does what? He gets upset. That's consistency. That's hupomene. Now, I want to take you to uh, Psalm 34. <clears throat> and I want to talk about David. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to call you up right here. Because one of the things that we all like to do when we have a hard time, we all like to feel sorry for ourselves. And we call our neighbors or get on Facebook or whatever and see if they'll get out their uh, little violins and start playing with us. The worst thing in the world you can do is feel sorry for yourself. Now, I'm going to challenge you to feel sorry for yourself. I'm going to give you David's scenario. And I'm going to start by saying, you think you got trouble? How about waking up one day and realizing this, that your sons died, that one of your other sons raped your daughter, and that another son killed that son, and then the son that killed the son tried to steal your throne. Now you got trouble? You think about that. David at some point had to look around and say, he lost his son with Bathsheba, right? Then one of his other sons raped one of his daughters. And then her brother turned around and killed the son that had raped the daughter. And then the one that killed the son... Tried to steal the dad, tried to steal David's throne. And you got trouble? Now, I don't mean to belittle anybody's trouble. But what I want to get across is what are you going to quit for? Because God did, because your coffee wasn't warm enough? Because somebody didn't speak to you when you saw them at Walmart or even inside the church? What are you going to quit for? Put yourself in David's shoes for a moment. Or even. Worse, put yourself in Job's shoes. Wake up in less than 24 hours, all your children are dead, all your livestock are gone, all your friends have turned against you, including your wife, because the Bible says her breath was strange to him. His own wife told him he ought to just curse God and die. Everybody's against you, and you know he felt the weight of thinking, well, God must be against me too because this is horrendous. All of that in less than 24 hours. We all could come up here in the middle of this church and pile our trouble up today, this morning. It wouldn't add to what Job went through in less than 24 hours. And yet, you know what? All these guys made it. 
And David had some sins that he had to overcome too. All the, the disappointment he had in the back of his mind. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Look what's happened. Look, all that going through his mind. But he made it. He kept his eye. One of the things that David was probably the best in the Bible at was running to God. Every time he got in a jam, whether he caused it or it wasn't caused by him, he knew how to run and talk to God. He's your greatest resource. Amen? Now, he wrote this psalm, and I want to read you a few things out of Psalm 34. I'm going to start with verse 15. He wrote this psalm. It says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Can you say amen to that? And his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Isn't that a good word? You may have a broken heart this morning. I'm not saying that. But you can make it if David made it, and David didn't even have access to the Holy Spirit the way we do. And Job made it. If Job made it, and David made it, and Esther made it, and Ruth made it, you can make it. If Peter made it, you can make it. He saves such as our contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Here he says it double time. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Somebody give him praise for that. Amen. <laughs> he guards all his bones. None of one, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those that hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Hey, you may see me down somewhere or you may see me battling, but don't count me out because it's not me that's going to do the fighting. Jesus has went before me. He's went around the corner and I will come out on top because I trust in the Lord. All of us trust. David trusts in the Lord. Job trusts in the Lord. I don't know what happened to those guys in Acts 16, Paul and Silas. They got thrown in the Maritime dungeon where the raw sewage ran openly. They were locked in stocks. They couldn't defend themselves against rats, biggest cats. But at midnight, the Bible said they woke up and started singing praises to God. Right in the middle of all their trouble. That's what we need to do. That's when the devil tries to back us down. When we have trouble, when we have disappointment, when we have discouragement, that's when we need to praise him the most. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. In Psalm 116, it means that God comes down in the middle of that praise with his throne. If he comes with his throne, everything's going to be okay. Because his throne represents his power, his authority, his love, his omnipresence, his all power. Everything is represented by that. So I don't just praise him in the good times. It's easy to praise him in the good times. I need to praise him in the hard times. That's when the devil gets a black eye. That's how we push him back. And that's what causes God to show up in my moment. I need God in my tough times. I don't have a God that just hangs around in the good times, but I've got a God that shows up in the hard times and said, I'll be with you. I will not forsake you. I'll go all the way with you. That's the kind of God I serve. You want to know why I'm going to make it? Because I'm convinced of the same thing that Joseph 
and Job and Moses and Abraham, they were men like us. With I'm convinced of the same thing. I know there's a heaven. I know there's a hell. I know there's a God. I know there's a Satan. But I also know who wins this thing. I know how it turns out in the end. And greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. I don't know what those guys sang, but most of the time they sang God's Word. And they probably sang things like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures, right? I don't know. Maybe they sung Psalm 37. Said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken or a seed out begging bread. In other words, God don't forsake the righteous. I don't know what they sung. Maybe they sung Psalm 146. It says, it starts, praise you the Lord, and it ends, praise you the Lord. Maybe they sung Psalm 147 that says, praise you the Lord, and it ends the same way. Praise you the Lord. I'm so adamant. Same thing in Psalm 148. It starts, praise you the Lord. It ends, praise you the Lord. Psalm 149 says, praise you the Lord. It ends, praise you the Lord. Why? Because we want God in our moments. I want Him at my house. I want Him at my church. I want Him in my car. I want Him when I'm on vacation. I want Him when I'm on a mission trip. I want Him all the time. And then Psalm 150, He says, praise you the Lord. And then He ends it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord praise ye the Lord give him praise this morning you guys can come to instruments this this is our moment when we face our hardest test and as a body as the body of Christ around the world some of our brothers and sisters have a harder test than we do in the natural right like the churches we have in Nigeria that we planted over there, they have, they're a lot greater risk physically than we are. But we're in the battle, and we have God on our side. We need to be convinced that what we're fighting for is worth it. Let's stand to our feet. God is faithful, and He's able to do far above what you can think or ask. This morning, if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this time we have, this very moment, God. That if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's watching us around the globe or gets this far in this building this morning that's not ready to meet you, Lord. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. We don't, none of us have a guarantee that we'll be alive tomorrow. So today is the day of salvation. And so, Lord, as we come to this moment to open this altar time up anybody that's lost or maybe there's a prodigal in the building that needs to return maybe somebody watching us this moment you need to kneel right now in your living room or wherever you're watching us and ask Christ to come into your heart somebody maybe in a hotel room that's watching us at this very moment you need to Surrender your life to Jesus. There's no other way out of here. And be convinced of what we're convinced of. That there's a better day coming. More in store for us. Lord, I pray for those that are sick and afflicted. If anybody has a need in their life, we will pray over them, Lord. We just pray right now, God, that the Holy Spirit just sit down on each heart that you'll do your work inside of them. 
as we open this altar. Will you come? If you have any needs, just come as we worship. Thank you.